0: Welcome to Delicious Magazine's Extra Portion, this week with Persian food writer Sabrina Gayor, who's all over delicious this month with recipes from her book Feasts in the September issue and an interview with her at home in the monthly magazine podcast. Here she is on identity, history and performance in Persian food. I
1: grew up in a house where nobody cooked at all, so... I taught myself how to cook, and I started um, refining and perfecting Persian and also Middle Eastern recipes because I, I have, you know, uncles from different countries, and like I have different family influences from Afghanistan, from Iraq. You know, there's a there's yeah. a lot more sort of intricacy in my canvas, so mm. to speak, mm. um, and it. Yeah, that's why I started cooking those foods because nobody was making that food for me. So similarly, when a lot of people come here and they want to cook that food here because they can't find it anywhere else, I started cooking it because I couldn't find it coming to me. It wasn't in my household. Mm. I didn't know how to cook it. So if anything... For people that cook my recipes, I guess I write recipes for um, those who don't really know much about that particular food because I'm self-taught. You know, people in Iran who have fantastic cooks in the house and Mm. never needed to learn. And I am not the world's best Persian cook, but I am the girl that cut the corners to make Western people cook this food and see how approachable it was. Because if I was sticking to, no, this is not how you do it. you got to do it like this. This is not how Iranians do it. Nobody would ever cook. There were loads of Persian books written before I wrote Persiana. And, you know, they're not, They're not, uh, they didn't hit mainstream the way Persiana seemed to. So I'm not your authentic recipes girl. Even though actually a lot of my Persian recipes end up tasting the same as the taking the long way. Yeah. Um, But I do love the flavours of my culture. I do love the way that we love to eat. Like Persians really love full flavoured food. Like simplicity is not, it's not a thing in the Middle East. It's simplicity is sometimes misinterpreted as bland. Mm. We don't. We just don't have the same way of thinking broadly across the Middle East. We like packing flavour in,
0: and you do time, don't you? You you marinate things. You spend a lot of time grinding spices. You 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 put time into it. So it's not. You you definitely do. When you say simplicity isn't the thing. It's actually quite simple, but it just takes longer. Absolutely, but
1: I mean, from the sense that we wouldn't just take a beautiful piece of fish like I do here, you know, because I'm Western. Right? But you know, take a beautiful piece of fish, roast it really simply with a little bit of salt and pepper. They'd be like, "Where's the fla- what is going on here? Where's the rest of the stuff?" Yeah. They don't eat the same way that we do. Um, so, but the interesting in terms, th- of... In terms of simplicity of, of flavor, flavors are complex, but it, also in terms of sitting down for a very long period of time yes we do that because food is not um, about sustenance necessarily alone Um, it is about enjoyment convivial action um, family you would never sit down in front of the telly and have a meal I mean I do of course we do all the persians in London I know do exactly the same but traditionally it's You know, everybody piles in. It's a family occasion. With Middle Eastern people, we very rarely eat in small clusters. Mm. Everyday dinners are not just mum, dad, kids. Everyday dinners are mum, dad, kids, mother-in-law, father-in-law, neighbour, you know, whoever, sister-in-law's family. It's always a big affair. Um, And, you know, that's kind of what triggered feasts for me because almost every meal I've ever made you know, it's a feast. Yeah. Even if it was me and you having a proper lunch, there would be five or six things down on the table, which for by Western standards is, you know, it's not showing off because it wasn't about sort of like putting lots of glamorous things down on the table, but it's about having lots of different flavours on the table and and sort of saying, you know, welcome to my house, please it's share, about share this
0: feast. Yes. It's about the welcome, isn't it? And that really is the same thing across the whole of the Middle East.
1: Yeah. But we are the much lighter... Much less aggressive, um, much more scented and perfumed, subtle yeah. part of the Middle East, and our food and traditions are totally different to the Arab world um, because we're not actually the Arab, we're one of the only countries not Arab Middle East. We're you know Persian Empire, Persian, mm-hmm. and our flavors have kind of gone into India, gone into North Africa. But the
0: the history of Persia is a very bejeweled I'm thinking it is you know, I'm very opulent that, and yeah.
1: decadent and and so
0: is the hedonistic thought.
1: and it's much the downfall I would say <laughs> but yeah I mean it, in terms of empire you know it, it was I always say the kind of foods that you would serve at a at a banquet would seal the fate of an empire because it was so important, food. You know, pre-Alexander, you know, even after Alexander, all the different um, empires that we had were... Food was a huge thing, not only just a huge thing, but it was also one of our key uh, trades that we were trading uh, along the Silk Roads. Yeah. You know, Persia was the chic thing, the chic um place to sort of trade with historically you know documented in 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 sort of many books and people were trading things like pomegranates p- trading pistachios dried apricots saffron um with persia um and it was very, very important and deemed incredibly important to find out what Persia was doing and what were they eating. Mm. And let's bring some of that back, along with silver, lapis lazuli, things mm. like that that mm. we had. Mm. Um, so actually, it has impacted, you know, the, the, even the, the famous biryani of India, which they say oh, it was Persian. It was very kind of them. The rice method is definitely Persian because... Um, you know, all the ingredients were bought from Iran or ancient Persia, along with the cooks, along with the language teachers, courtiers, everything. All the arts, the poets were just all shipped in because Mm. it was just, Persia was kind of like almost France was to sort of Europe in the late 1600s. It was very chic and everybody wanted to import things from there. Absolutely.
0: And And our early travellers, our early Mm -hmm. adventurers, particularly from the Elizabethan era, would... Go to that part yes. of the world and bring back these treasures. Yeah, and
1: not not very heavily documented, surprisingly. But actually, um, Henry VIII's court. Uh, saffron appeared and hence saffron walden in england mm-hmm. medlar barberries sumac uh, quince all quince, we all have them in common now there isn't i'd love to sort of say persian um broadly yeah. but there is no written documentation of how these things appeared in yeah. england but it is thought that because of his love of food and his his uh you know respect for having banquets and always finding them really important pivotal yeah. to his reign that he was greedy and sort of loved importing in these ridiculously expensive things from um the east. So yeah. I think it was probably very strongly possible that he was trading
0: with Persia. And and that's really interesting actually because from that period and also the Elizabethan, you know, kind of, you know, trophy food. I wonder if that's where we parted ways where food was always very y in Britain. It yeah. was always a symbol of uh, you know we some we know something that you don't. We can show off with our food whereas the rest of the world was just loving it
1: yeah <laughs> yeah I mean also you know the thing is that there's a it what well, a dead giveaway in Persian culture and that is when we serve rice so we have this very unique method of steaming rice that you can google and I'm sure it will yield many answers but it's very intricate and we don't cook rice by water absorption so we have separate grains and the aroma is very important and then in a banquet it would be like sometimes up to a two meter length tray you know a massive thing carried in by four people with a giant mountain of rice that likes of most of us have never seen in our lives wow. I've seen smaller versions that are still enough to feed 100 people but at the top of that white mountain of rice would be a crown of um, scattered neon orange ochre color um, rice on top and that would be rice that was um, tossed in a saffron solution because the crowning of that rice with Oodles of saffron meant, look, saffron, worth its weight in gold, Um, look at how much I value you. And also probably just showing off, really. Um, But it was a real essential thing for rice serving that, you know, has made its way into your average Persian home. We would not it's very uncommon to not have saffron for your rice because it's, for us, it's a staple, it's essential. Um, so it's beyond even showing off, it's embedded in our culture, but it does sort of show that food was actually quite a lot about showing yeah, off and, and showing value to yes. the people,
0: like how much we value we've whipped out the gold. Well, because of the welcome, um, and I think yeah. that that is still the difference, you know, in, yeah. in the ta-da type, you, don't, yeah. um, you know, dining rooms. That's very different to we value you come and have our most expensive food food you
1: know or, or we value you here's all the food eat because it's going to be your last meal because we'll execute you after it. i'm <laughs> sure there was probably a lot of that a lot of yes coming for the fabulous banquet trap
0: <laughs> thanks for listening to the delicious podcast with me Julie smith we'll be back next week with more from the world of delicious so do subscribe via your podcast app